Amazing, isn't it? Ah, uh, yes, yes, Wallace. Did you did you get it straight away? Cut from a sheet metal plate because it's just been raining. Yeah, pretty much. Yes, yes, I uh, enjoy music and I enjoy Don McLaughlin, of course. Yeah. So uh, yes, I picked it up. It's one. It's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, no one else can pen a lyric like that. Eh? It's just so, it's poetic, isn't it, Brian? Cut from a sheet metal plate because it's just been raining. And if you know, if you know Dominion Road. It looks like that. Yes, yeah, that's right. You've got to think hard about the lyrics. Uh, it's exactly what, what it's actually saying. Yeah, very good, Brian. Well, thanks for uh, being with us. After. And you, you're keeping well? You're staying safe? We're safe. We're on an ark, so to speak. We, we live on our yacht, so uh, we're floating anyway. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You're, <laughs> on, a, you're on a yacht in this weather? Uh, we're on our mooring. Okay, you're on the mooring. Whereabouts? Uh, we're at Anakiwa in Queen Charlotte Sound. Okay. All right. Beautiful part of the country. Stay safe there on the yacht, Brian. Thank you. Very Thank good. You. And, very good. And very good indeed. Now, I, I want to know this about the song. In 2013, an unknown artist installed a brass plaque in the footpath approximately halfway down Dominion Road in honour of the song in order to coincide with the events uh, as part of an arts festival. But the changes to the road layout and discrepancies with the music video have led to debate as to where the halfway point described in the song actually was. I'd like to know this from you. Is that plaque still there on Dominion Road? You'd know, wouldn't you, David? I was going to say, David Slack will know the answer to this question. <laughs> he was smart yeah. before. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, David? Um, no, I, I I don't know where it is. I haven't seen it, so I, I can't help you. I used to live very close to there. Um, Did you? But that was a long time before the song. Yeah, in Prospect yeah. Terrace. That's when I first moved to Auckland. Very good. Yeah, uh, someone says, uh, Lee, one of the greatest lines from a Kiwi song, the Mutton Birds Dominion Road, just got to hear Don McGlashan belt this out Saturday at the Nostalgia Festival. More feedback coming no, through. No one's ever yes. No one's ever put a plaque on a white valiant, though. No, that's, that's very true. <laughs> There could be still time to do that, David, but I want to know if that plaque is still there uh, on uh, Dominion Road. More fever coming through. Andrew says, uh, we're near Russell. Horrendous night here. Trees down everywhere. I had to go onto the roof early on the night and cut a manuka tree off it. Not much sleep. Power out in the area, uh, our area, but we are off grid, so it's okay as long as the sun comes out. One day. Um, 
regarding the gum trees, we talked to Monique Edwards who had uh, a gum tree smash at the top of her house. We had our gum trees chopped down last year, slipped some damage on many properties uh, around here. So, look, um, how are you um, experiencing this cyclone? Uh, please do get in touch with the panel. Text me to one zero one. You can email me, the panel at rnz.co. Uh, .nz. And well, with further significant rain to forecast, there is a warning that Lake Taupo and Waikato River levels will be running high. Ground is already saturated with weeks of rain and there is potential for a bit of flooding along the Waikato and its tributaries. So what do we need to know along these routes? Uh, the Waikato Hydro System, which includes the dams on the Waikato River and Lake Taupo, is managed by Mercury in conjunction with the Waikato Regional Council. With us is Phil Gibson, a GM, uh, General Manager of Portfolio at Mercury Energy. Kia ora, Phil. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you? Very well. This is interesting because it's something that I don't often think about, that is the the lake levels in Taupo there. Uh, but needless to say, the rain does affect it. When was the last time you saw lake and river levels this high? Yeah, um, well, yeah, just thinking what a um, terrible summer it is and listening to your intro there, it wouldn't be so bad if it was just one event, but it's been yeah. nine months of solid rain in the, in the Waikato. Um, we know that the Ooh. storm events at the end of January really hammered uh, the communities through the Waikato and can only imagine how those communities are feeling today as they prepare for Gabriel and, and just wonder how big it's going to be, how hard it's going to hit them, um, and we're really feeling for them. Nine months of solid rain on the Waikato. How do you prepare for this type of thing? What, what's, talk us through the procedure in terms yeah. of how to actually... Um, uh, Bleed the bleed topo, if you like. Yeah. So you mentioned the the Waikato Regional Council there. So they're the flood. Their role is the flood manager, is the statutory authority, and Mercury operates the dam. So together we try to look at forecasts, plan for these events, and then move water. So releasing it out of the hydro dams, out through Karapiro and down through the lower Waikato, before the storm comes to create some room in the river. Um, and give us as much chance as possible of holding those flows in the river storage. Um, and at the same time, depending on how things play out, sometimes we have to hold back water at the top in Taupor, um so you give the river a chance to clear and you don't Goodness. put too much water into the into the lower Waikato. So it's this delicate balancing act of trying to uh, maintain the, the, the total catchment outcomes to buffer the storm at the top and at the bottom, and release water in sequences to try and avoid as much flooding as possible. Far out. Heather Roy. Great. Hi, Phil. Um, Phil, and Hi, I sit on, Phil and I sit on an advisory committee together, the Security and Reliability Council, which provides advice to the Electricity Authority Board. And um, Phil, just I, I always l- learn something when I'm listening to you, but you must have spent the summer watching weather report after weather report after weather report. Yeah, yeah, really, really tough. I mean... That event last week really surprised everybody, I think, or two weeks ago yeah. really surprised everybody, I think. Um, we got we were expecting four to six centimetres into Lake Taupo, and we got 20 centimetres in overnight. Um, and on the back of just sustained flows, that saw us get to the very top, just over the top of our control level. So um, lots of prep, lots of work, but at the end of the day, you're in the mercy of of the weather, and your planning is um, you know, only as good as forecasting, and I wouldn't want to be a weather forecaster for a job. No. <laughs> Got a question here for you, uh, Phil. Uh, a, a listener says, apparently there's been way more water coming into the lake than uh, coming out of it. 
Yeah, yeah. Last um, in that last event we had at, at its peak, we had 1.3 million uh, liters of water per second coming into the lake. So if you imagine a, um, <laughs> if we could only get 300,000 out. So if you can imagine a Rubik's cube, 10 meters tall, 10 meters square, uh, we had one of those plopping into the lake every 10 every second. Can you just uh, repeat those stats? Uh, that that's just blowing my mind. One point three million cubic liters. No, Did you no, say one point three million liters li- per liters second? Per second. Mm. Yeah. So imagine a ten meter Rubik's cube dropping, uh, full of water, dropping into the lake every second. Phenomenal. Wow. David Slack. This is all taking me back to our class trip to the Tongariro Power Skip in the <laughs> late 1960s where Codelpha Concert Bar were doing all the tunnelling. I loved that project and I loved all about it and I love hearing about it to this day. It's um, a fascinating project, that one. Oh, it was really ingenious and, and, um, and, and a, a really nice cultural dimension to it too. You know, all of those Italian tunnellers who came here and, and set up in Turangi and, yes. and quite a few. That's right. You still get a good pizza and pasta in Turangi to this day, I think, on the back of that. Correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd, 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 I'd like to see a book about that one day. Um, right, some news just to hand. I'm just going to jump in. The Hauraki, the Hauraki District Council has declared a local state of emergency uh, at 3.39pm. The Mayor, Toby Adams, says evacuations are likely and the region will need extra resources to cope. So that's just the latest there. The Hauraki District Council has declared a local state of emergency uh, just, in, just four minutes ago. All right, sorry, David. Well, um, just one sort of doom-laden question, really, for you, Phil, and that is, you know, um, and I've sort of had it in mind for some of the other people we've been asking today, but I almost didn't want to put it to them because it's too dis- distre- <laughs> de- depressing. But are you contemplating the possibility of more more of this this summer? Because just because we've had a lot of it doesn't mean we won't yet get more, does it? I think I think that's right. I heard Chris Brandolino on the radio the other morning saying there's more coming. Um, yeah. And you know we'll just uh, we'll take it as it comes. It has been a really long sequence, um, and so let's hope that we get some summer soon before it's um, too late. Oh, goodness mm-hmm. me, Kia ora, Phil. Thanks Good for your time. The balancing act. Yes, mm. that's uh, interesting. Isn't it? Phil Gibson, the uh, GM portfolio at Mercury. So. Uh, yeah, that's actually um, something I'll be thinking about on the bus ride home. 1.3 million litres per second going into Lake Taupo, 330,000 litres out. That's quite something. Uh, people are um, getting in touch with their experiences. We've just had Andrew here uh, who has had a horrendous night in Russell Trees Down everywhere. everywhere. Let's go to Hawke's Bay, see where what they're uh, up to and we have Liz uh, on the line. Kia ora Liz. Hi Wallace, kia ora. Hey, lovely to have you on Liz. Alright, tell us uh, about uh, the situation where you are. Uh, very wet. I'm at Rissington which is a rural settlement. We're about sort of um, about 30 k's northwest of Napier. Um, it's been consistently raining for the last 12 hours. It sort of started last night and uh, it's just kept up. We're, we're not getting a lot of wind, but it is sort of picking up. And we're already sodden here. I mean, the ground has just been drenched from about two weeks ago. We had one of these, so I'm marooned. I've got two creeks flooded down the bottom of Soldier Settlement Road and uh, I just feel for the farmers and the fruit growers. You know, they're really, they've really been hammered. 
Yeah, indeed. Uh, there's been no summer. So, yeah. Uh, and the fruit is reflected in its um, variable quality this year. Huh? Absolutely, absolutely, Wallace. You know, and I, and I saw them sort of frantically picking apples um, a couple of days ago. I think they were working day and night, really, to try and get what they can in. And so, same with the farmers with uh, haymaking. This is yeah. normally the haymaking mm. time of year. So, great, great to have you on, Liz. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Wallace. All okay. right, uh, so yeah, a 210, that is the number to text. You can email me, the panel at rnz.co.z. I want to hear from you this afternoon and tomorrow. Uh, you be the eyes and ears of this show here. It's all about what you're experiencing in this most extraordinary uh, weather event. And uh, to this, as rain will be returning, as rain will be returning. Uh, this evening to Tamaki Makaurau, it'll be rain on extremely sodden soils. And then some of those bigger questions then uh, will need to be tackled at some stage. For example, are we continuing to build in areas where we shouldn't be? There are already 55,000 houses in flood zones in Auckland, many of them inundated in the recent deluge. I know that Kate Newton did a really good piece on this in Stuff with us is Belinda Story, Managing Director of Climate Sigma, an independent research organisation. Belinda, welcome. Kia ora. There are already, as I said, 55,000 houses in flood zones in Auckland. Uh, I mean, what are some of the more prone areas? I know that Māngere, for example, that's amongst the lowest, lower-lying areas in Auckland. You've got parts of Sandringham, which were originally marshland, and others. Yes, so I, um, I don't have um, as detailed information as the Auckland Council would on this, um, but I know that um, we're... Um, there is a significant number of houses in Auckland that are in floodplains and um, even more in other parts of the country. Yeah, and what was interesting to me, Belinda, was that some of these homes that were inundated uh, in the recent uh, flooding a couple of Fridays back, I mean, they were only just a few Mm -hmm. years old, so in a way knowingly built and developed on flood-prone areas. Absolutely. We are continuing to build on that. We've got a housing crisis, so there's strong pressure to um, extend um, development into areas that some um, of our previous generation may have recognised wasn't a good place to to build on. So what that means is sometimes the very floodplains that are most available and are cheapest for developers and therefore become most attractive to build new developments on. Yeah, Uh, Let's go around the panel on this one, Heather. Yeah, well, my question to Belinda was going to be, are these new housing areas that we're talking about, we're supposed to have this thing called the Resource Management Act that should ensure that these things aren't happening. Who's making these decisions and signing off in areas that are already vulnerable? That's just craziness. So it's local government tends to be in a very difficult situation about preventing development in these locations. So technically there is... Requ- uh, mechanisms within the Resource Management Act to be able to do that. Uh, However, in reality, developers have been able to exert such strong pressure on local government uh, that these developments have continued to be um, undertaken. Of all the the councils that should be in the best position to be able to say no, that would be Auckland because they're most um, well-resourced and they have some of the best capability in terms of risk assessment in the country. 
yet even um, Auckland Council has continued to have pressure from developers to build in these locations. And home purchases are rewarding developers for building in those locations. We're not seeing significant uh, discounts on the values of properties, even though they're in floodplains. Mm. So people are too willing to ignore that risk and buy oh. in a property. Mm. Well, that just tells me that the Resource Management Act is completely broken and um, and we still have this um, thing about building Auckland bigger, um, you know, needs to be thought about, I think. All right, we'll stay there, uh, Belinda. Let's bring David in. I've got a kind of a general um, frustration right through what we're talking about today that there seems to be a reluctance to consider changing in a large way, both in terms of, and I've gone on about this many times before, uh, about housing, about how I'd like to see an entirely different model, but also in terms of the climate crisis and in terms of how we change our usage. And in particular... Um, it seems to me we have been trying in so many ways to go on doing what we're already doing. Go on using cars in a new way. Go on sprawling houses in a new way. Instead of saying, let's fundamentally change the way we do things, which to my way of thinking would be way more involvement of the state in, in, in house development and in terms of stopping sprawl and doing way, way more intensive, way more uh, substantial um in, uh, building within the existing mm. areas instead of the low-rise sprawl that we've, we've done for so long. And so my question after that long-winded rant, Belinda, is do you see the Northcote development as an example of, because I understand that that worked, according to Kate Newton's article, quite carefully on the flood mitigation aspects, as well as doing a lot of those things I've just been endorsing, way more state involvement, with NGOs, way more intensification rather than low-rise detached housing. Sorry for the mouthful. So, um, yes, mid-rises so, um, are definitely something I think that we should be embracing far more of. We tend to think that you've either got a, a house on a section or you're in a high-rise. Um, there are plenty of cities around the world um, that make mid-rises, so something, say, up to six storeys high, the, the default um, yeah. So I think we need to be embracing far more of that. The, the one piece that concerns me a little bit um, about developments like Northcote is the presumption that we can engineer away the water. Okay. Uh, mm. So we, we do need to be careful. Um, if you go to an engineer and say, how can we make sure that this, um, this doesn't cause an issue, um, they will always come up with a solution. But there will be situations um, where we simply shouldn't be rebuilding in some of these floodplains. Gosh, some big questions and some big issues to confront us in the next few years, Blinda, surely. But for now, kia ora. Thank you for your time. Uh, Blinda's story there, uh, Managing Director of Climate Sigma, uh, an independent research organisation, uh, that issue there, 55,000 houses in flood zones in Auckland. Uh, just some news on the RNZ blog. By the way, that's the place you go for the latest uh, information, rnz.co.nz. The Hikawai River reaches 13 metres. Uawa Civil Defence wants Tolaga Bay residents that have been asked to evacuate to do so. Uh, the Hikawai River has now reached 13 metres and the Gisborne District Council says when the river level goes beyond 8.5 metres, flood warnings are 
triggers and evacuation centres have been set up across Tairawhiti um, and are open this evening. Stay with RNZ across uh, the evening. You've got a checkpoint with Lisa Owen at five o'clock and then into uh, lately with uh, Karen Hay. Now to this, uh, thousands of people are without power across Northland, Auckland and the Coromandel Peninsula. But what happens to all the food we have stored in our fridge freezers. Well, there are some tips to work out what can be salvaged and what needs to be thrown out with us is Wendy Wendy Joe, a founder of Social Enterprise Perfectly Imperfect. Kia ora, Wendy. Hi. Uh, uh, Heather touched on this earlier, uh, but you've written about what to do. When the power goes out, how long can you keep the temperatures low in the fridge and freezers? Well, technically, if you don't open the the door of the fridge or the chest of freezer, it'll keep it longer. But um, rule of thumb is um, for the food in the fridge, um, within four hours, if you have no power with for four hours, you need to start looking through it and start eating the food in the uh, fridge. So that's your first target um, to starting clean out your fridge and make sure um, perishable okay. food like a milk, cheese, um, and those any food that has used the buy date goes, you know, to consume those first. And uh, obviously, if you have any um, alternative power cooking um, facility to cook the eggs, that'll be fantastic. Otherwise, um, probably gonna frozen them, but you don't have the chest. Yeah, to that's work. right. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, Wendy, we've got a panel with us, Heather. Um, Wendy, I've read somewhere years ago that it's worth filling um, milk containers with water and then putting them on, on the bottom of your chest freezer. Um, and so mm. when you've got a situation like this, not only have you got a, a, a freezer that's been operating more efficiently while the power's on, but I think it does stay a bit cooler later, but you've also got emergency water there. Um, is that... Does that make um, the food in the freezer stay cooler for a bit longer? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you have those um, icing uh, container in your freezer while it's still operating, they'll be uh, save a lot of place. And also, um, the full uh, full filled uh, chest of freezer compared to the half full, actually, the full. Um, freezer mm. to last longer. Yes. Oh. Yeah. So half a fold probably um, will be the temperature start dropping down in um, 12 hours, but full freezer give you 48 hours longer time. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is quite um, significant when you've had no power for a couple of days. Yeah, mm. it's kind of freaking out because um, all the food that you storage in the um, freeze, obviously needed to be uh, used in very short time to extend mm. to extend it. But don't be freaking out so much because um, carefully, mindfully start using the food um, because you got you still have some uh, recipe to use without power. Like if you got avocado, like last week we received tons of avocados. And if you got avocado, you can smash it in without any power. Um, cheese, you can eat it just like that and you can... Um, if you've got some uh, uh, hot water cylinder in your house, that electrical one, you can stack the cheese on top of that, um, melt it down a little bit, 
Um, oh, this, this is a good idea. This is a good idea, Wendy. Good idea. Good, t- good tips here, Wendy. Yeah, <laughs> I like yeah, that one. I like that one. Just a little bit of a, f- a flood fondue. Yeah, uh, Wendy, yeah. We, we, we've got to go. But Wendy Jo Kiora, thank you for your time. You're welcome. Because I did want to sneak in, uh, as only fair to have David Slack's I've been thinking. You've got about 90 seconds or so, David, so um, <laughs> okay. just, just fire away. Yeah, I was just going to express a little bit of exasperation about some people uh, elsewhere in the media today who have been taking a rather um, uh, different approach to all of this, and I'm quoting a couple of things. One is, there's no storm coming for Auckland, FYI, maybe a storm in a teacup. Glad our dumb kids have two days off. And here's one from Ms. Kate Hawksby saying, with all the anxiety-inducing alerts and warnings and breathless media coverage, I'm just wondering where this cyclone is. Let's hope it stays this way. Overcast, light rain, bit windy. Where are you, Gabriel? She says. Well, I, I've got one of my readers of my newsletter said... Um, as one answer to that, well, actually, here in, uh, Gabriel is working hard in Northland. Ask any of the 50,000 people without power or the electricity maintenance crews working tirelessly to, tirelessly to get us reconnected. I won't quote the whole thing, but you get the point. And I would just say generally to people like this, do you take out insurance? And at the end of the year, if you haven't claimed, do you say, geez, that was a waste of money? Precautions are a good idea, especially in the light of what we saw that all went wrong so right. long uh, just two weeks ago. Go on, David. Hey, you've been wonderful this afternoon. David Slack, Heather Aikura. And guess what? The Dominion Road plaque is still there. We've had a lot of response. We'll come back to that. Stay with RNZ across the evening. Checkpoint with Lisa Owen next and into lately with Karen Hay. Love it to be with you. I'm back tomorrow, 3.45. Till then, see you.